Welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignments. I am Josh Goldberg here for another week. We are recording on Sunday morning as uh, this is just the best time that it could work. Uh, so we'll see what happens Sunday. Hopefully nothing crazy might need to uh, adjust if anything major happens. But uh, right now the Blue Jays are cruising. They're looking for a perfect homestand uh, as they try and sweep away the Seattle Mariners. They swept the uh, lowly Chicago White Sox and then they're heading out on the road to Boston pittsburgh and philadelphia then the braves and yankees are coming to town so uh tough little stretch coming up but uh with the way that the blue jays are playing right now it's hard not to be really excited and really confident in how they're finding ways to win games and you look at what happened saturday against seattle and you're getting carved up by easton mcgee and he had a stretch there uh over two innings where he got six outs on 10 pitches and it's just well i've seen this play out before you think back to uh ryan Merritt uh, in the american league championship series i know it's a completely different team but you know, maybe there's something to be said for you haven't seen a guy before late notice you know it was um later on friday after the game that the mariners were going to announce that uh, Flexen wasn't starting and McGee was, you have less time to prepare. There's not a, a tremendous amount of tape available um, on a pitcher like that. And he kept them completely off balance. You know, the at-bats were really bad, but they found a way to hang in there. You know, Kevin Gosman was incredible and the bullpen was great again. And they did a really good job at keeping that game uh, close and allowing the Blue Jays a chance to win it in the uh, in the tenth with just one run. Like a lot of times with the Ghost Runner, we've seen it. The Blue Jays, when since that thing has been introduced uh, in 2020, have struggled a lot because it's not a coincidence. The bullpen hasn't been good enough, and the bullpen hasn't been able to get those quick, easy outs that you need with an automatic runner on second base to start an inning. You need strikeouts. And in the past, you know, we've seen guys here just not be able to dial it up and get those swinging strikes and swings and misses. But on Saturday, you know, Eric Swanson strikes out the side and you look at his numbers and high leverage situations. There was all this consternation about, you know, the Mariners bullpen was so deep and Eric Swanson didn't pitch much in high leverage and he didn't really pitch in the playoffs. And they only used him in that long game uh, when they had not much in the way of alternatives. And I will admit that I was at least intrigued as to why that might be the case. Was it just, you know, something they saw? Was it just the fact that there were so many other good relievers that um, you know, there was just not a place for him. I'm not really sure, but what I am sure of in the early going of the season is that he has been really good in whatever spot he's been thrown into. You would probably like to see him pitch more often in high leverage spots, but, uh, through the first 27 games of the season, um, uh, in high leverage situations, hitters are one for 13 for an 076 batting average in high leverage spots against Swanson and his fastball splitter combination uh, has been so good. You know, it's, it was really kind of cool to see. I'm always intrigued to see him pitch on the same day that Kevin Gosman does, because like at that point, hitters have just seen a steady diet, of fastball splitter. And then you get another guy coming in with a devastating fastball splitter combination. And Mariners hitters just didn't have an answer for what, uh, what Gossman and, and what Swanson were throwing up. And 
you know, he did a great job. And then Dalton Varsho, who has like two extra base hits in the last three weeks, basically, and is not hitting the ball hard. He is seeing a lot of pitches, which is encouraging, but you know, he was brought in here to provide some, some power from the left side of the plate. And he has two home runs and hasn't done much of that. I'm not at a point where I'm saying, you know, anything in terms of, well, there should be a huge level of concern with Dalton Varsho. I think he's probably going to figure it out, but it was really, really uh, encouraging and encouraging and exciting to see him square a ball up in a big spot and win a ball game. So you have to hope that that enables him to build some confidence uh, moving forward, but it's hard not to be excited about where the blue Jays are right now. You know, like they're finding ways to win. They're not finding ways to lose. Uh, they're taking care of business against teams. They should take care of business uh, against. I sat here last week after a three and three um, road trip and said, Hey, look at the schedule coming up. You've got six at home against the white Sox, who are a complete shit. Let's call a spade a spade here. It's a disaster. Um, and the Mariners who have underachieved and I, like, I was not that high on them coming into the season. I know they have incredible pitching, but I still have concerns about their ability to score runs. And you look at what's happened. They've scored two runs in 19 innings, uh, over the first two games of this series. They have some talent, no doubt, but I didn't look at them as a team that the Blue Jays should be that concerned about. Like they're the type of team you should be beating, especially on your own turf at the Roger Center. And here they are. They have a chance to go 6-0. and I said, you know, take advantage, go on a little bit of a run, build up some momentum, bank some wins. And you're going to need to because the American League East is ridiculous. Uh, you know, they enter play Sunday four and a half games back of Tampa Bay, who just keeps winning. And they have a plus 106 run differential already, which is just like the next best team is Texas, actually, at plus 59. You know, Pittsburgh, incredible, plus 53. Like, it's just stupid what the Rays are doing. I know they haven't really beaten many teams um, of consequence, but they're doing what they need to do. And it's going to be tough all season long in the American league East. So these are absolutely the games uh, that you have to take care of business in. And the blue Jays get full marks so far uh, for doing that against the white Sox and the Mariners. And uh, we're going to get to some stuff that uh, you tweeted in at DFA underscore pod. That is uh, most encouraging about the start of the season, 18 and nine, as we enter play here on Sunday, April the 30th. So we'll get to those. And uh, we'll get to Nate Pearson, Whit Merrifield's red hot. Uh, the bullpen as a whole has been great. But I uh, do have to talk about Kevin Gosman, who was dominant again. And you look at his last couple of starts, 14 shutout innings, 24 strikeouts, one walk, nine hits over those 14 innings. And uh, he's quite simply one of the best starting pitchers in the league and especially in the American league. You, you look at his ranks among American league starting pitchers. He's second in strikeouts per nine, six in walks per nine, seventh in ERA, second in war. And that's fan graphs war. Cause I don't use baseball reference for uh pitcher war. I just don't do it. You know, power to you. Uh, if you do, it's just not my jam. I really like fan graphs. So that's the one uh, that I go with, but uh, his splitter was just so fucking good uh on on saturday like it was just you know it's always really good it, honestly like it's rare that it's not but it was just so unbelievably dominant 
And uh, it was the most swinging strikes. He got 20 whiffs with his splitter. It's the most in a single game in the pitch tracking era. So it's just an indicator of how locked in he was. And we sat here last week and, and talked about, you know, an ace gives you that more often than not, gives you not only a chance to win, but gives you a win um, every time he takes the ball. And there were a couple of situations during Saturday's game where, you know, Seattle strings together a couple of hits. They've got a runner on third with one out and he just bears down, gets it done, strikeouts and he gets out of trouble. And that's the ultimate sign of a great pitcher is, you know, when your back's up against the wall a little bit, you can reach back and find it and get those strikeouts, get those easy outs and get yourself out of trouble. And he did that a couple of times and he's done that so many times in the season plus um, since he joined the Blue Jays. And this is just a really interesting week that, you know, he's been dominant and is already in the American leagues. I know it's early, but he will, assuming he's healthy, I'm knocking on wood here. He's going to be in the American league Cy Young conversation. He probably should have been more of a prominent participant, principal character in the American league Cy Young conversation last year. But it's a particularly like you don't nobody's rooting for injuries, but like Robbie Ray, unfortunately, is out for the season. He needs surgery to fix the flexor tendon in his left arm. And, you know, we saw it last year that already looked like a really smart swap by the Blue Jays. Who knows exactly what went on with Robbie Ray? Like, was there any serious chance of him coming back? I'm not exactly sure. It's hard to really get a read on that whole situation, but the Blue Jays, you know, went and got Kevin Gossman for 5 million less over the five-year term of the deal. He gets 5-110. Robbie Ray gets 5-115. Like, Robbie Ray had a fine season last year. He was durable, uh, gave Seattle a chance to win, was nowhere near as good as he was in, in 2021. And I think you know, most people probably expected that it would be a bit of an outlier season in 2021. You know, it just, it was the perfect storm for him. And last year, I think is probably more in line with what you might be able to expect moving forward. And Gosman coming in to the American League East, it was all this talk about, well, he's going to give up too many home runs. You know, he's always been a homer prone pitcher. Uh, Even since he mastered his splitter, he was still prone to home runs. And that just didn't happen last year. And it really hasn't happened this year. Like his homer per nine is under one this year. He only gave up 15 and 174 two thirds last year. Like he's been more than advertised. And, you know, the Blue Jays took, I would say, somewhat of a calculated risk swapping out the reigning American League Cy Young winner for. Uh, a pitcher who hadn't had much success pitching in the American League and obviously with the Orioles pitching in the American League East, but it's worked out brilliantly. And, uh, you know, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro deserve full marks for making that bet because, uh, you know, Kevin Gosman is an anchor on this entire team. Like he's just as dependable and as dominant and as excellent as it comes. And uh, the Blue Jays are obviously very fortunate to have him taking the ball uh, every five days. And, uh, you know, some other really encouraging stuff, you know, we're going to get to your tweets again at TFA underscore pod. A lot of people obviously are most encouraged by, you know, what Kikuchi and Barrios have done to start the season. I don't blame you because it's been great. And uh, like Kikuchi in particular, we'll start with him. Then we'll get to Barrios. 
like he's thrown this hard cutter slider thing. I'm not really totally sure how to characterize it. Like it's in the low nineties. Is it a cutter? Is it a slider? Some people are calling it a slutter combination of the two, whatever it is, it's been really good. Maybe over time you take a little bit off of it and and maybe more resemble a traditional slider. We'll see right now. It is absolutely um, getting positive results. And so many times this year, he's thrown some some really good ones to right-handed batters down and back foot, just kind of tunneling down and bottoming out and getting those awkward swings. And you know, we talked about Robbie Ray just now. That was what Robbie Ray did during his Cy Young season in 2021. It was fastballs, and then it was just wipeout sliders down and uh, in two right-handed batters, those back foot sliders that got so many swings and misses. And Kikuchi has done that a lot this year and it's just felt different. And like I, I tweeted this during his start, he hasn't had to work backwards and work behind in the count very often. Like he's just done a really good job getting ahead. Like last year it was one Oh, it was two one. It was three one. And then to get back into account, he'd throw a cutter or a crappy fastball that caught too much of the plate and then got punished. And, you know, it's not rocket science. When a pitcher is ahead in the count, he's going to be better. Like your numbers when you're up in the count, as opposed to behind in the count are night and day. And a pitcher like that, it just enables him to, to use his stuff, which is really good. It was really good last year, but it was just not able to be maximized when you're working behind in the count as often as he was. And, you know, this year that hasn't been the case. He's got way more confidence. He's working quicker. He's pitching with more freedom. It seems like on the mound, he's emboldened, I think, by the amount of confidence his teammates have instilled in him. And to me, this doesn't feel like a blip in the radar. Like, I think that to some extent, this is closer to what he's going to be this year. Like I, I we've seen a month of it. We did see a month last year in May where he was really good. But even then, uh, at least to me, and I think to a lot of people, it didn't feel all that sustainable. Like it was better, but there were still too many situations where some of the bad habits would creep in and then he would just find a way um, to minimize the damage. This year, you know, outside of that angel start, there really hasn't been much of that. And even the angel start, I didn't think he was that bad. I think that there was, you know, a little bit of an element of bad luck Otani hits a home run on a ball, you know, like down and at his feet, it seemed like, and and goes the other way for a home run. Like there's not much you can do with that. You know, more often than not, you say Kikuchi has executed brilliantly. And you know, if he's your number five starter and can pitch to like even a high three or a low four ERA, where we expected him to be or where he probably was coming into the season, that is a massive, massive. Uh, development for the Blue Jays and, and really, really encouraging. And another thing that's obviously very encouraging is uh, Jose Barrios, who was, I would say, his best this season against the White Sox. And again, it is the White Sox who are horrible. So you do have to maybe factor that in. But like I sat here last week after his uh, strong starts um, against the Rays and the Astros, just saying, okay, I, it's been great, but I, I need more from his fastball. And we got it uh, against the White Sox. There was tons of movement. He threw an incredible uh, late moving fastball to a lefty to get a strikeout that started inside and then just kind of broke back right on the corner. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And that's what 
you know, he's done at plenty of points in his career. He's not really walking anyone. Um, you look at his numbers, like they're good. I, I understand he's still got a 4.71 ERA, but his FIP is 2.35, his XFIP, which I don't love. I do like FIP. I don't know if I love XFIP as much. Uh, is 3.28. He's already picked up 1.0 war on fan graphs. Last year, he was 1.1. So in five starts, he's all, already accumulated about as much wins above a replacement as he did in 32 starts and 172 innings. So an indication of how bad he was last year and how solid, for the most part, he's been this year. He's striking out a, a better than a, a batter per inning, 9.42. Last year, he was 7.8. Walks are down. Home runs are down. He's not giving up. Uh, as much hard contact. His barrel percentage is only 7.6%. Last year, it was 95, 9.5%. His uh, average exit velocity is down 87.1%. Last year, it was 90 Like There's just a lot of encouraging stuff right now. Like His hard hit rate has dropped 4%. It's 26.6% right now, which is the lowest mark of his career, lowest since 2017. And only the second time he's been under 30% in his career. So uh, there is a lot of encouraging stuff. He's only giving up line drives 19% of the time. Fly ball rate is down. There's a lot of encouraging stuff. And, uh, you know, if he can continue to command his fastball and throw it the way that he did against the White Sox moving forward, then you're talking about something that uh, is really, really good and, and really, really encouraging. And, uh, you know, that's the thing to me right now that I would say is number one, most encouraging the way that the Blue Jays are, are grinding out wins, I think is also super encouraging, but those two um, pitching the way that they have in the early portion of the season um, is exactly what you're looking for. And uh, we'll see if it can continue. I'm more optimistic uh, than I was, especially about Barrios last week or two weeks ago and Kikuchi, I felt pretty good about for the last couple of weeks and nothing's uh, changed my thought process uh, on that. Uh, another thing that uh, has been very, very encouraging is Whit Merrifield has been really good, shockingly good, I would say, uh, in, in the early going. He was really good after the trade last year, but you know, you look at some of his batted ball numbers and some of the data he doesn't hit the ball particularly hard so you're wondering you know how much was left in the tank at somebody who's gonna be 34 years old but he's been really good like I was high on him coming into the year Uh, I thought he would be the guy and would emerge as the guy um, as the best second baseman on the roster and so far he has like he enters play Sunday with a WRC plus of 129 he hasn't been over 100 since uh 2020 when he had a 105 and he's been pretty good defensively he's making a ton of contact as usual he doesn't strike out much he makes a ton of contact he's not hitting the ball that hard but he just made when you put the ball in play as often as he does uh like he's hitting a ton of line drives his line drive rates as high as it's been since 2019 like I just, I understand on, on Saturday, he sat and Kevin Biggio played against the righty. And uh, I guess I understand why they're about to embark on a pretty long stretch without an off day. Like they don't have an off day this coming week through Boston and Pittsburgh. And I would expect Whit Merrifield's going to play pretty much every day, if not every day on, on that road trip. But like, God love Kevin Biggio. It's really rough right now. And like, I'm not saying DFAM at this point. Like, I, I do think that 
you know, we could reach a point sooner than later where there's a conversation to be had about his place on the roster. And do you look to maybe move him? Because entering Sunday through his first 49 plate appearances, he's got almost a 39% strikeout rate. He's only walking 6% of the time. He's got an 18 WRC plus hitting a buck 11, 184 on base percentage. Um, his hard hit rates, 19%. Uh, it's just, he's, his soft contact rates, the highest of his career. He's not hitting any line drives. Like he just, there's not enough, uh, aggression in his game. Like he looks at strike three way too much. And I understand a lot of his offensive identity is predicated on patience and seeing a lot of pitches and working a lot of deep counts and that's fine and dandy, but in certain spots, you got to take the bat off the shoulders. Like you just can't be going down looking at strike three as often as Kevin Biggio does. And he to me is the guy that should barely be playing. Like Espinal came back after getting hit by a pitch on the hand uh, from Garrett Cole had three hits in his first game. Like I'm fine to play Espinal, especially against lefties. You know, even though Merrifield hits against lefties, I'm fine to just find opportunities for Espinal to play. But to me, it should be like a 60 or like a 55, 60, 30, 35, and then BGO gets scraps uh, elsewhere. Like it should be, you know, a solid lead for Merrifield in terms of how much he's playing. Espinal plays at second base. He finds other opportunities to play. And then Kevin Biggio uh, barely plays because like the only time that I feel as though Kevin Biggio can do damage against a righty. Like we saw Lance Lynn throw a lollipop curveball that he hit for a home run. And that was just a horrible pitch selection, horrible execution and a horrible call by Lance Lynn, like, and by the catcher, I think it was Zavala. Like in that situation, you just can't throw a breaking ball to a hitter like Kevin Biggio, because that's basically the only pitch right now that I feel like he has any chance of hitting like you throw a fastball of any low mid nineties or higher velocity, he's going to have a hard time doing much with it. And, you know, the White Sox, as has been the case all year, they just didn't do the right thing at the right time. And it ended up costing them uh, a chance to win a ball game. So uh, I'm really feeling good about Whit Merrifield. Like I thought he might have more pop this year, like maybe hit 10 or 15 home runs. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, he, if he can hit, 300 or or 290 plus he's a he's a 286 hitter for his career he's hit 300 twice like he's hit in, in the low to high 280s a couple of times like i think he can do that and uh like as we sit here on sunday morning he's batting fifth in the lineup which you know is pretty intriguing yeah dalton varsho's batting seventh which i i get with the way that he's been hitting but wit hitting above alejandro kirk is a real interesting, um, even against the lefty, is just an interesting development. And I, I think makes a lot of sense and is an obvious indication of how good he's been so far uh, to start the season. So full marks uh, to Whit Merrifield for what he's been able to do uh, in, in the early going. Um, I wanted to talk, obviously, about Nate Pearson getting called up. And we sat here last week and said, you know, Nate Pearson wasn't going to get called up, you know, if somebody, if it meant somebody getting DFA'd and that didn't happen, you know, Adam Simber, I don't know how legitimate of an injury it was. You know, we talked last week about how, how bad it's been, how rough of a stretch it's been. Like maybe there's been uh, some diminished 
just stuff. Like he's had more inconsistency with his arm slot because he's been battling this kind of back muscle strain or whatever it is. I don't know, uh, honestly, whatever it is, he needed um, a bit of a break, I would say. And Nate Pearson comes up, gets his opportunity, has made one appearance uh, as we record this. It was, you know, classic Nate Pearson, I would say. Flashes of dominance and then, you know, some flashes of what's plagued him a little bit. You know, his mechanics can sometimes be all over the place. Like he did have a clean inning, struck a guy out, threw too many pitches, I I would say, for that. Like he threw 22 pitches in in that inning. And, you know, there, there were a lot of foul balls. And I think even against a crappy team like the White Sox, I think it's just an indicator. He was so dominant at AAA. He was just blowing guys away with his velocity. Major League Baseball is just a different animal. You know, pitches that you're getting AAA hitters out, Major League hitters are spoiling those. Like they're going to battle you and make you throw more pitches and maybe go to your off-speed stuff, like go to your slider. He doesn't really throw much beyond a fastball and a slider. Like he's kind of junked the rest of his stuff. And you know, there's just not going to be that many easy at bats at the major league level. And I think it's going to be on Nate Pearson to figure out a way if his fastball isn't getting the level of swing and miss that he's accustomed to, and that he's been able to rack up at triple a, he's going to have to find a way to, or if he doesn't have his a stuff, he's going to have to find a way to battle at times. And like, we'll see what happens. Um, I think he's going to have to be really good to earn a roster spot because uh, I just don't see the Blue Jays making a, a, a move where they're DFAing somebody. Like maybe you work out a deal, but like Trevor Richards has been really good. I know it's only in low leverage, but there's value to somebody coming in in the fifth or sixth inning and giving you four, five, six outs getting strikeouts. It's been largely really good since his first couple of outings of the season. Like he's been solid. And I just think that some team will want Trevor Richards. Like if you DFA Trevor Richards, he is getting picked up in a blink of an eye because teams want, like that's a legit weapon pitch he has in his changeup and teams are going to value that. And teams are going to value strikeouts, even if they come in lower leverage spots. And it's just not good asset management to DFA a reliever who will quickly get claimed. And I think the same can be said of Adam Simber. So like Mitch White is working his way back. He's out of options. I really don't know what they're going to do. Like, I I think, like I said, Nate Pearson's going to have to be really, really good uh, to maintain a place on this roster beyond however long Adam Simber's uh, on the injured list. And like the Mitch White one, I think is the more interesting dilemma that the front office is going to have and you know what do you do to clear up a a roster spot um for him because like i said he he doesn't have any options so i don't know it's going to be really fascinating to see what the blue jays might do here in the next couple of weeks um and it's a good problem to have if nate pearson pitches really well and if mitch white um deserves to be back on the roster like, it's going to be interesting. Like, Pearson's got two options left. Like, are they optioning Zach Pop? I really hope not, because uh, outside of giving up four runs against the Astros, Zach Pop has been really good, and his strikeouts have been up, and he's still getting uh, those ground balls. And the combination of strikeouts more than 10 per nine innings pitch, like his ground ball rate's only 40%. 
but I expect that to normalize uh, closer to what it's been, which is 56% for his career. So I, I hope that doesn't happen. I said that last week, like pop came in and in relief of Gosman on, on Saturday and has a clean inning and was really good. Um, in a, in a, I believe it was against the top of the order. And that's what Zach pop should be trusted to do. Like I, I'm at the point I was high on him coming into the season. I thought that obviously there was going to be more there and the slider was something that might allow him to be a reliever that you trust in a big situation. It wasn't just going to be sinker after sinker. Like he could throw a quality slider regardless of the situation, regardless of the opponent. And so far he's mostly done that. Like even against the Astros, he executed uh, good pitches and good hitters, honestly just made good swings on those good pitches. So I wasn't really even that concerned with what he did. So I, I hope he doesn't go anywhere, but uh, he, cause like, I think, He's the type of guy that uh, can emerge and be a real trusted weapon out of the bullpen in big spots. And I think it's the type of pitcher that you're going to need down the stretch as we get there. And then obviously if this Blue Jays team has uh, ambitions of reaching the mountaintop as they want to do, I think a pitcher like Zach Pop is probably somebody that is going to be relied upon to get outs in big spots uh, in in big games, so it's going to be fascinating. We'll see what happens, but uh, there are no easy uh, decisions right now with the way some of these guys uh, are pitching. I don't think it's going to be some walk in the park for the Blue Jays uh, to figure out how to play musical chairs with the roster uh, and figure out you know what works and and what doesn't and what allows them to keep their flexibility you know without sacrificing too much. So uh, I think it'll be something that we obviously keep an eye on uh, over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, another quick word, I guess, on, you know, George Springer continues to just have bad luck. I said last week I wasn't particularly worried about him. I'm I'm still not, you know, like the numbers are still not very good, but he'll be fine. Like, he'll be fine. He's not striking out a ton. He's just... Like I said, he hit a ball hard on Saturday that Ueno Suarez caught. He's not striking out, like I said, much. His strikeout rate is about what it was last year, around 17%. Like, I think it's going to be okay um, with George Springer. His Woba is 261. His ex-Woba is 334. He's underperforming. His expected slugging percentage is 143 points higher than his slugging percentage. And it's 10 points higher than his expected slugging percentage last year when he hit 25 home runs. So, He'll be fine. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I continue to not be uh, too concerned about what George Springer has done so far uh, this season. Okay. So let's get to some tweets, what you're most encouraged by early in the season. And then, you know, I guess I can weigh in as well. Uh, JJ says Kikuchi and Brios, those guys being decent, lets the team hit a new gear. hundred percent. The starting, like, it's pretty crazy that Alec Manoa, has been arguably the least consistent, least effective starting pitcher, and the Blue Jays are still 18 and nine. And you look at what he did on Friday, he grinded again. And it's a testament that, you know, he allowed the Blue Jays a chance to win that ball game. Like he was navigating trouble all night. He didn't have good command. 
he struggled again, like the strikeouts were there, but he walked a bunch of guys. He didn't pitch past the fifth inning. And that's been unfortunately uh, too frequent of an occurrence. Like last year, I think he averaged 6.1 innings per, per start. And this year, if he gets past the fifth, uh, it's been a bit of a surprise. So I honestly think the fact that they're 18 and nine with him performing the way that he has is just another reason uh, to be encouraged. And if he can, you know, put together more consistent results like we saw last weekend against the Yankees and Brios and Kikuchi find ways to continue to be effective. Then you're talking about, you know, a really deep, really strong rotation. So uh, appreciate that uh, from JJ. Uh, David says, I'd say it's the ability to find ways to keep themselves in close games with pitching defense and finding ways to create runs when they haven't been able to overwhelm teams with home runs. Last season, it felt like if home runs weren't coming, they didn't have a plan B not so this year. And I think that that is true. Um, you look at their their numbers this year, they're still a, a pretty solid power hitting team, but it's not as overwhelming. Like they are 18th in home runs right now, uh, entering play on Sunday, 30 home runs in a combined 1,030 plate appearances. And like, they're not striking out at all. Like really at all. They right now as a team, have the seventh lowest strikeout rate as a team at 20.9%. They're walking uh, a decent amount. They're 12th, tied for 12th with a 9.1% walk rate. It's been different. And I still think that, you know, this is still a team that profiles as a power hitting team. Like not a lot of guys have really had, you know, flashes of power productivity. Like Brandon Belt has one home run. Dalton Varsho has two home runs. Uh, Danny Jansen has finally gotten it going a little bit, but he's uh, the type of hitter who profiles as somebody who can hit for power. We saw it last year. Uh, he has three home runs. Like guys are going to get going. George Springer has three home runs. So I, I think the fact that they have the record that they have, they're 18 and nine and are where they are in terms of home runs is really encouraging. It, it proves that you know, maybe they can win in different ways. And when home runs aren't necessarily there the same way that they are uh, like in the playoffs, the same way that they are in the regular season, um, you know, can they go to this type of approach where they're seeing a lot of pitches, they're not chasing, they're not striking out a ton. They're walking at a decent clip. I think that, you know, that kind of goes hand in hand. If you're doing that, if you're forcing the pitcher into the strike zone more, they're more likely to make a mistake and you're more likely to hit a home run on that mistake. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly with David. I, I think that you know, there's a lot of really exciting stuff that has emerged so far in the first 25 to 30 games of the season about what they've done as a team offensively that uh, should keep you feeling really um, excited about what uh, they might be able to accomplish uh, moving forward. Max says, I would say how the rotation righted the ship quickly after a very rocky start. No doubt. Like I was at least a little bit concerned, like not panicking by any means, but like it wasn't a great start, but like Bassett has really found it. We talked about this last week. Like this is what Chris Bassett is capable of. This is who Chris Bassett is when he's at his best. Like he's just throwing the kitchen sink at you uh, and figuring out, you know, ways to get out, even though he doesn't have the 
the best stuff in the world. Like he pitches on guile and feel and command, and he's done it uh, really since his first start and inning of the season. Like even against the Angels, he he grinded, and his stuff has been much better over his last couple of starts. So. Uh, yeah, the rotation has been excellent over the last couple of weeks and, and really exciting and encouraging to see what they might be able to do uh, moving forward. Uh, the all of tweets and the ability to win run, one run games. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would say they've been uh, mostly solid in that. Yeah, they've been excellent. They're six and one in one run games. And you look at what they did last year. Um, in one run games, it's a real tongue twister to say one run games. Like you really have to say that quickly. Like they were 30 and 20. That's actually very good. So because like, they, they, I guess really a, somewhat of a carryover uh, from last year, like you're 36 and 21 over your last one run games. So you were 15 and 15 uh, in 2021. But uh, you know, the hallmark of a good baseball team is finding ways to win those close games. And like, Maybe there's an element of unsustainability to it, but good teams, you know, with good bullpens and timely hitting win more of those games than not. Like Seattle won an insane number of one run games uh, last year. They had a great bullpen and their hitting was just good enough to come through. Like their bullpen afforded them enough opportunities uh, to win. They went 34 and 22 in one run games last year. And then you look at what they've done so far this season, like they're struggling offensively. Their bullpen hasn't been as good. They're three and nine in one run game. So, you know, the blue Jays are finding ways. And like I said, good teams find ways to win games as opposed to finding ways to lose games. And uh, the walk off Saturday was really um, a good Testament to maybe what has been different uh, about the Blue Jays. Jeff says uh, the most encouraging thing is all business, go, no goofing around. It really has been like the the correction from um, last year with the home run jacket and the sunflower seeds to they basically don't celebrate home runs like it's just a high five. I'm fine with that. I was fine with, you know, the theatrics and the and the horsing around. I don't really care either way, but it is definitely different and that's fine. You know, you want to change it up after a disappointing end to last season, go for it. I, I have no issues uh, with that. William Bean says defensive intelligence. We knew with some of the moves that were made, you know, Kiermaier, Varsho, uh, et cetera, this was going to be a better defensive team, a sharper defensive team. And that has obviously happened. And uh, I, another thing that I think will be encouraging going forward um, is just being a responsible, sound defensive team. Like you're not going to have to worry necessarily about some of the fundamental issues that maybe plague this team in the past. And in tight games down the stretch in a pennant race, which is where this team is going to be and where it expects to be, having reliability uh, basically around the diamond defensively is a really strong place to be. So uh, the vibes are immaculate right now with the Blue Jays. You know, 18 and 9, it's hard not to be. Uh, lots to be excited about, lots to be encouraged about. As always, appreciate you sending the tweets at DFA underscore pod. Want to get to as many as I possibly can. Uh, send them. I'll try my best to get to as many uh, as we can. There's a lot of, you know, overlap because the pitching and Brios and Kikuchi were obviously uh, the most encouraging things. 
so far this season, but uh, we'll get to some more interaction as always next week. At Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find me on Twitter. Jay's made a deal. Tyler Heineman is back. More catching depth. Vinny Capra goes to Pittsburgh and uh, Heineman has been added to the 40 man. Jordan Luplo has been uh, assigned outright. He is off the 40 man. So more catching depth. Tyler Heineman is back after uh, leaving last year via trade to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Wolbert. We'll talk to you next week on Designated First Time.